How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plugs Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensi. Tim, so good to have you back, sir. Yeah, and you know what's even better? Regular season. So close you can taste it. It is, man, it is. And with the new season upon us, it's only appropriate that we have our part two of our 2023-2024 NHL preseason. And of course, we're going to be talking about the Canadian franchises in the Montreal Canadiens, Toronto Maple Leafs, and of course, our Ottawa Senators. Yeah, and I think we've got a lot of great stuff ahead for all of our lovely listeners to enjoy. Although, I do wonder if we spent a bit too much time talking cap. Well, Tim... That's going to be up for the listeners to decide. All right. So who we got teed up? So teeing up today's episode is going to be Scott Cowan for the Montreal Canadiens, Adam Seldo for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and Matt Nafe from the Centennial Podcast for our Ottawa Senators. Yeah. So without any further ado, let's get on. <laughs> Canadian portion of our season preview show representing the Toronto Maple Leafs as a staff writer for the pension plan puppets blog and a returning guest to the show. Please welcome back Adam Selvig. Adam, how's it going then? Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. It's nice to be remembered and wanted and that's always a good feeling to have. So it's, it's great to be here and um, sharing the love of the Maple Leafs with everyone in Ottawa. Even if this is a sense podcast. Yeah, Absolutely. Look, everyone thinks about the Maple Leafs. Everyone talks about them. So, you know, there's always a little bit of love there, no matter what team you you cheer for. Well, I mean, as one of the top teams in the Atlantic, even with uh, some of the Rosh moves we'll get into, you kind of have to give them the the attention they're due. Whether you want to or not. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So, Adam, I'm excited to have you back on the show. One, because we got I got a chance to talk with you last season and during our preview show but also given that you are a staff writer for pension plan puppets i want to get a bit of an update of what you've been doing with the blog well since you know we used to be working with fox media under the sb nation brand and then they decided to cut almost all of their hockey websites and keep a very weird collection of them (laughs) i don't know why you cut the rangers and keep the hurricanes but that's that's not that's not for me to decide has it been called the apocalypse yet (laughs) <laughs> I never thought of it. That's good. No, but I like that. That's really good. Yeah, so so we're on our own now. You know, we're paying our hosting fees, just all that that background stuff just by just from the, the love of the fans, I guess. So we're reader supported now. Uh we don't have ads on the re- website yet, but I mean, you know, you gotta pay the bills somehow. So right now we're just uh we're just a plucky group of bloggers trying to keep everything going you know we're back back to where ppp started uh basically our own like wordpress site so the original still exists if you want to look up the blog spot uh website i think but 
overall, we're just we're just doing it on our own and playing by our own rules now. And I, I think it's it's still going well. We're still doing Leafs and Marlies, and the Marlies still invite us to games. And we're doing junior hockey and the new women's league. So I'm, we're trying to do as much as we can with uh, a lot fewer resources. How excited are you for the new league? You know, I think it, it's good to finally have one that's supported by the players as well as the fans and has more of the NHL's interest uh, than than the past ones have. And I think they're going about it in a bit, in, in, a, in a very good way in deciding to try and play in junior-sized ranks. Mm-hmm. Uh, not join up with the NHL teams right away, but also not be in the middle of nowhere like the Toronto Furies were. In, in this in the Canadian Women's League. Uh, they were at the Ford Performance Center, the Leafs practice rink, which Ooh. was a nice facility, but it was like a subway, a streetcar, a bus, or, or, or horrible traffic and driving into the middle of nowhere to get to. So I think like these new teams are trying to be more centrally located, easier to get to, and in places with the, pro- with the way to have the proper media coverage as well. We've been playing in those bigger buildings. It gives a sense of legitimacy to the league as well. Yeah, exactly. Like they're they're safe. Like the Ottawa team is playing where the Ottawa 67s play at Lansdowne, and I think I think that's a great that's a great spot for them. I mean, it, it's a good location and it's a it's a great rink that won't look cavernously empty or completely amateur on on TV. So, yeah, and especially playing at. Lansdale. I mean, I I got a chance to go there years ago. It's such a nice area in Ottawa. My co-host lived in Ottawa for a few years, so he knows firsthand experience from the from that area. Now we're talking about the blog itself, and we did talk about the fact that it unfortunately the big company let the blog go. How has been other than the funding itself? Like, how has been the biggest change that you've seen between going from the big company to doing independent? Less arbitrary rules, I think, is a big one because um, you you had a company that was running hundreds of websites covering so many sports, and we were just you know ho- it was an American company too, so hockey's kind of just off in the corner. So we weren't as controlled, but there was still a lot of decisions out of our hands, and some opportunities we were given we couldn't accept. Uh, because of their rules, uh, sponsorships or, or getting, you know, uh, some like I like this. I like to have on my own little section of the website called, as I used to write under the username El Seldo, I had El Sellout, where I would try and get as much free stuff as I could. So it worked out well. I worked with Molson when they put the uh, hockey rink on top of a skyscraper in Toronto. So I got to go to that event and then um, I review NHL games and all the time. So there were some things that came up where people were like, we could, you know, possibly do an exchange of season tickets for some, you know, throw a link in here and got told no for that because it was a rival company to a sponsor SB Nation had where they gave me 50 bucks for the same thing. I was like, Look, I'm not going to turn down money because I, I did this for the love of love of the team, but I would have rather had the season tickets. So, so there's there's a bit more of a freedom in what we choose to do, and a bit less of uh, someone watching over your every move. Like Kathy Squires, our editor and, and our boss, she's great. She has rules, and, and she's a very good person to have in charge. But there's still a bit more freedom in that. Just don't do anything that's going to get us sued. So, 
that's basically the only rule. And after that, there's no minimums. We don't have to do clickbait. We don't have to post just for the sake of meeting requirements either. So it's more, it's less filler, more uh, content, I guess. Yeah, less filler, more killer. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> that rhymes. That's even better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's also the name of a Sum 41 album. That's why I was thinking it. <laughs> oh, well, there, there we go. See, I'm, that's I'm super lame, so I, I didn't know these things. <laughs> now, let's talk about the Tron Maple Leafs. And when talking about last season, I know the big thing that came out of this the first playoff series win since 2004. We don't need to talk about who they beat then. Now, coming into this season, like what kind of expectations should the fans have on this year's Toronto Maple Leafs? Honestly, do that, but better. You know, I, I think with, with this core group, you have the expectation of, and, and the salaries that are being paid, the expectation is to win the Stanley Cup. I mean, I don't think anyone's coming in to anything less, um, unless we're in a flat out rebuild where we're tanking for Austin Matthews like before that should be the expectation every year whether it's realistic or not um but right now I think it is a realistic expectation of this team to be okay we won a round super we didn't get anything out of it so now we want to win the Stanley Cup with the group that we have with with our three players over 10 million dollars and Morgan Riley almost said eight William Nylander is going to resign for something around eight. So, I mean, we have the talent and we have the payroll for it. Now we just need to actually do it. So if you don't repeat what you did last year, I'd say a lot of people will think it would be a colossal failure to not win another round this year. And, and you have to go as far as you can. I mean, we haven't been to the conference final since 2002. So that's 20, that'll be 23 years this spring if they don't do it again haven't been to the stanley cup finals since 1967 so at the very least make the final just make it there and lose and that's a million times better than what anyone would have hoped for right. so i but i think it's cup or bust at this point i guess the question then is is there worry given that the circumstances around the win last year was tampa bay's defense was effectively an ahl squad and then you get spanked by florida is there a worry that you can't catch the lightning in the bottle twice and there's something fundamentally wrong with the core. I don't think the core drastically underperformed last year. I think, um, you know, we were dealing with, with an almost all new defense coming into last season, us Morgan Riley aside, and we're almost doing that. I mean, we have Riley and Brody coming back, but other than that, it's almost rebuilt again. Uh, like Lilligren's going to have a bigger role and then we've got new players playing down there and then they've been working on the middle of the team, which was also a big flaw of the team last year was their wing depth and their third line. So I, I personally, I don't think it's as much as trying to recapture lightning in a bottle from last year as it just is just improving on it mm -hmm. uh, because getting past Tampa was as hard as it would have been, was an expectation. So I don't think it was a lightning in a bottle situation as much as it was you finally did your damn job. <laughs> so, so, like, great they won, and then Florida was frustrating because they played a very different style than the Leafs. The Leafs were probably better matched up against Tampa um, just because it's skill on skill, whereas Florida was changing the way they played based on their opponent, which is more what you want to see from your team every time. So... 
honestly, looking back on it, yeah, maybe we should have played Boston instead of Florida. That probably would have been a better time. But, you know, last season's last season, and I'm, you know, I'm a shark. I have no neck. I can't look backwards. So we're just going to keep going forwards. You feel that the expectations should be very high, not only because of the core you guys have with the Leafs, but also due to the free agency pickups you got, like the Max Domies mm-hmm. and the Tyler Bertuzzi's. Yeah, I mean, it, they're very good uh, pickups, even if they're one-year deals. But, hey, a one-year deal motivates a player to outperform than a, an eight-year deal would because they won't, the pressure's only on themselves to perform for a new contract rather than to perform up to a contract standard. Um, I know Domi's wanted to play in Toronto, so he's going to have that excitement of coming in. And Bertuzzi's, I think Bertuzzi's a, a big ad because he'll give us a second-line winger that we were sorely missing last year. Like, Bunting was great, but he's not Bertuzzi. He's the, uh, and Bertuzzi's coming in without that Bunting reputation. So whether Bertuzzi plays on the second line with Tavares and Elander, or he goes right up to with Matthews and Marner, it's going to be a drastic change for, for the top six to have him in there. And I think, I think those, those two ads will be great. And then um, adding in smaller pieces like Matthew Nyes all season and Pontus Holmberg and like even Ryan Reeves might bring something more that was missing. Uh, like Reeves will bring grit and, and hardness, but he'll bring more skill than the last few guys they tried to bring in that had, that hard-nosed player in them. I guess the question, though, is what gets subtracted given the Leafs are still $3 million over the cap? I've been ignoring that all summer. That's a good worry. And I, th- I honestly haven't thought about it at all because I'm not that smart. Uh, I'm just a guy at home. Like Brandon Pridham, I'm sure has a plan for that to come up. I mean, Murray and Muzzin will go on LTIR. I'm, I'm sure there's trades that'll happen as well uh, coming into camp. I mean, there's a few guys you can move off that are that are low, lower paid, but not as integral. Callie Yarncroft, Sam Lafferty, you know, uh, Connor Timmins is, is a over a million, is a $1.1 million defender on, on the bottom six. Can he be replaced with you know, uh, someone in the in on the Marlies or or like a, maybe a PTO coming up, maybe. Uh, yeah, that's a that's it's going to be a big story to watch coming into camp. But <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm doing my bad job as a lease blogger because that's not really something I've worried about at all all summer. You think they're going to have to give up a first plus again to do it? No, I, I don't think they'll have to pay a lot to get un, to get in control of the cap situation. I think they would probably rather play short, play with 11 forward, 10, 11 forwards, rather than give up more first round picks uh, just to dump salary. Wait, so you're saying that the Leafs are going to pull an Ottawa Senators with Guy Boucher, 11 and 7? <laughs> oh, God, I hope not. Hey, you guys uh, got him. He's an assistant coach now. I, he, he's the assistant coach. I know. But I, I don't think they would let him play uh, like he did in Tampa, where we get five minutes of the other team not charging the team just to make them look silly. <laughs> you know, they, you don't pay this much for offensive skill and then play defensively. But 
you know, it, um, if it, unless it works, then I don't care what they do. But I think they might go that route to try and avoid paying a big penalty to to dump uh, to dump a salary again. It does make me laugh that Leafs might go eleven and seven. Just saying. <laughs> you know, you should talk. So sorry, I don't know if, if I can curse you. You be a bad mouth other teams so much. Sometimes it just comes to get you. That's true. I mean, hell, you look at Twitter the last week or so with the Sens, the Leafs, the Red Wings, every fan going out against each other. It's just like, can't we all just get along? Like, Jesus, guys, you're on the show. <laughs> well, hey, we're just, you know, it's preseason for, for smack-talking other fans, too. So we're, get, we're getting back into regular season form here. Uh, like I say, I haven't been around there as much. I've been been more of a, a Blue Sky guy lately. So hey, let me know on Twitter if you need a code. I've, I've got plenty to go around, so. Yeah, and for the Leafs, I mean, the sky has been so blue, but also the color green has been coming around. we got to talk about the Austin Matthews extension, and I'm not surprised the Leafs ponied up to give him the money. I think the big question for me, if you are the GM of the Edmonton Oilers, are you hating Bradtree living right now with that deal? Oh, Absolutely. I, I think all the GMs are hating for living for for the Matthews extension, and and in offense, you probably hate Matthews too, because I think he's been one of the the smarter players when it comes to contracts since he's come into the league. Like even before he was in the league, he was like, "Well, do I play in the USHL for free? Uh, do I play in whatever CHL team drafted him? I can't even remember. I'm sure he was, but for sorry, I'm gonna put this in quotes that so no one can see." free um or do you go to college no he went to switzerland because he, he was old enough and he got paid a million dollars like when but otherwise his other choices were to do it for free so he's been doing his own thing forever and i think he might be showing a lot of highly skilled players you don't have to play by their rules like when Connor mcdavid signed i thought that was the dumbest thing he could have done was to sign an eight-year deal uh, you sign right up to free agency because up until that point, the Oilers haven't showed they're competent in building a team. So the Oilers should be kissing his feet for signing for that long and mad at Matthews for showing everyone else how wrong they were. He took a chance on himself on four years. He's taking another chance on himself on a four-year deal. But I think it also helps the Leafs in that, you know, they're not going to be paying a 33, 34-year-old off Matthews $14 million. They might if he re-signs another four-year deal, but at least you know what you're getting at the end of these four years. You're not risking a, a drastic decline in quality of play because of constant risk injuries. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Other GMs probably hate him. Other agents probably hate him. But I'm sure the players might be seeing it. I hope some of the other players are seeing it as an eye-opening exercise. Yeah, because I'm, I'm a little surprised he didn't try to buy one more year of his decline years I, I they probably did i mean maybe matthews only wanted three and this was the compromise was to get four because three years brings him he's still under 30 on that next one so i bet it was a it was a compromise on both parts with a little bit of a pay bump to get that extra year but seeing as how all of his negotiations have gone that's i'm convinced it's the best leafs could have gotten out of him because he's a very, or his agent, or they're working together very smartly and doing what's best for him and can't blame him for it. No, I mean, I think, I can't remember who said it, but I think that Matthews, by the time he's 31 years old, he's going to be made 
I think 110 or 115 million dollars total. Then that's before mm-hmm. endorsements. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you know, it's it's like people have always said he's you know, you're he's Austin Matthews in Toronto. He's one of the best players they've ever had. He can he could probably retire at 30 and make more money on endorsements and signings and and the the fan expo circuit than he probably could for whatever contract he's doing from 30 to 36. So good for him and yeah, get it while you can. Well, yeah, like the guy was on RBC commercials across the country for six months. Yeah. And he was doing yeah. Like, yeah. And he's got to make up for the loss of gambling sponsorships now, too. So thank thank goodness, though. <laughs> now, I do want to ask one thing about Austin Matthews. And when you look back at the Toronto Maple Leafs draft history, there are some big names. You, you know, the Wendell Clarks, people like this. When it's all said and done, is Austin Matthews going to be the best player the Leafs have ever drafted? I think a lot of people are going to take team success into account when judging that. But draft-wise, I think, yeah, because a lot of their great players came in before the draft. You know, a lot of the legendary Leafs were all pre-draft because that's when the team was good. Once the draft came along, they really struggled to do so. Like, they've drafted Daryl Sittler. They drafted Wendell Clark. They drafted a lot of very good players. I mean, hey, they even drafted great players for other teams like Tuka Rask. <laughs> but I think, yeah, I think all of a sudden then Austin Matthews might come down to be the best drafted player that Maple Leafs have ever had. Uh, as long as he continues his production and, and keeps going the way he has been, it's he's going to break Matt Sundin's points and goals records handily. Uh, Martyr might also break those, at least the points records. So, and he's probably going to be chasing down, uh, I want to say Borea Salming's assist record. I'm pretty sure he's the one who has it. So, I mean, you've got all these drafted players chasing down records. There's going to be a hard case to argue against it, and they might have to open up spots that they said were closed on on uh, Legends Row. Mm-hmm. Now, moving away from Austin Matthews, let's take a minute and talk about William Nylander because he isn't his final year's deal. There's always been speculation over the years that the Leafs may trade him. They may give him a long-term extension. Neither has come. Now, coming into this season, like, what do you really make about the whole knee on their situation? I know that tree living is trying to sign him, but where do you see this go with him at this point? I see it going right up, right up till March. I mean, people have been trying to trade Nylander since he was drafted. So, I mean, a lot of that talk is just background noise to us at this point, but you know, you don't like a player entering with his first shot at unrestricted free agency you know, coming into the year without an extension when they could sign one. You know, so I think they're going to do everything they can and make up their minds by March. I mean, depending on where the team is in the standings, if you're struggling for a playoff spot and he's not signed and he's said he's not going to sign until the offseason, I don't think you take that risk of him walking and while you're struggling to make the playoffs, you might move him for defensive help you need or goaltending or whatever you need at the time because he's an excellent player he's a 40 goal scorer and those are rare so if you feel like you can't sign him you gotta trade him but if he's unsigned and they're like first in the division fighting for the president's trophy i think you take that risk you keep him and you just take that risk at him walking at the end of the season do you think- i don't think it'll come to that i think they'll get a deal done but it's gonna be a storyline for a long time do you think Tree Living would be willing to take a risk like that after he got burned twice in the same year by 
Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk? If you have the chance to be the GM that brings the Stanley Cup back to Toronto and live on as an immortal god in the city, I think you do take that chance if there's no deal to exceed his production. I think it, you can only trade William Nylander if you're in a position at the top of the league, if you can exceed the production he's bringing. Mm-hmm. Um, so if Nylander has a great season again like last year, it's going to be a hard, a hard choice. But I think it would have to be a deal that would blow the Leafs out of the water because the team that would trade for him would also be a contender, right, in their same position. And you don't want to give them an advantage. So it would have to be to a Western Conference team. So you're already cutting your your trading partners in half. So past, you know, past getting burnt in Calgary is one thing, but that might have been an ownership situation as well. He might not have had a say in not re-signing them during the season or or not trading them because Calgary's a lot more success dependent than the Maple Leafs are. And they were fighting for a new arena too, so they wanted that success. So it's it's not a position I would want to be in, but I don't see him getting moved. And he's got a modified no trade as well. So we can't, you know, deny that. So if I'm Elander, I pick, you know, when I submitted my new teams on July 1st, I pick whoever I think is going to be the best in the league and put those on my, you can trade me to them list, you know, to make that decision even harder for them. But, you know, I, I would take the risk on him walking if they're in contention for president's trophy, just to make sure you have that offense in the, in the lineup. And he's a great second line winger. He's not as soft as he's made out to be by so many people. So he can bring it when he wants to. He's just so aloof off the ice. It's easy to look past a lot of what he brings. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the hiring of Brad Tree living, and Tim and I have talked about this in the past, because you look at some of the trades he made in Calgary, he seems to be a very conservative sort of general manager and the way that he's made movements. As a Leafs fan, like what was your thoughts when you got the news broke that he was hired as team GM? Um... I didn't, I wasn't, it didn't worry me. I wasn't excited because I couldn't think of anyone who would replace Kyle Dubas if they had let him go. So once they announced he was let go, I couldn't think of a name that would really, you know, get me on my feet excited to replace him. But when they announced it was Trill Living, I was like, yeah, okay. Like you said, he's a very conservative. He's a very solid, he's a, he's a old school hockey guy. Um, not that Kyle Dubas wasn't like he grew up in hockey. Right. So, but I think Trey living will, will, will do just fine. Like he's coming in with a solid base built for him. So we're not rebuilding the team. So he's going to be a very good custodian of this, of this group. So, I mean, he doesn't worry me. It's not like they, they hired Cliff Fletcher or I'm blanking, but the, the guy from Philadelphia before Cliff Fletcher that, yeah, and he, he wasn't a bad GM to hire, I guess. He's not someone who worries me. Fair enough. So I do have one final question here about the Leafs. It doesn't involve this or this era of the Leafs anyway. Now, the Hockey Hall of Fame induction a couple of months ago came out. A lot of people were very upset to hear that Curtis Joseph wasn't in. 
I want to get your take because I feel that the only fan base that wants to see him in the Hockey Hall of Fame is Toronto fans. Am I off base by saying this? Probably not. I mean, we have a very good bias towards him. I mean, he was our goalie the last time. It was a great Leafs team before, you know, before the salary cap basically killed off the Leafs for a decade. So I, I get everyone's love for him. I don't, he's a borderline Hall of Famer to me. I like, he's a, he's a Chris Osgood without the cups, basically. Like, I don't think a lot of people other than Red Wings fans were pushing for Osgood to get in the Hall because he won them a lot of cups. But goaltending is is always a hard thing for me because I'm a I'm a counting stats guy. So if a good player's like this player's up for the hall, and I look it up, I'm like yeah, he scored a thousand points, great, sure, I guess he's in. But you look at goalies that have gone in, especially from the '80s, and it's like I don't get it. I don't get why. Okay, Grant Fear was good, I guess he was on the Oilers. I'm gonna make a lot of people hate me by saying that, but it's just a a name that came out of my head. So. Yeah, I think it's more just of a Leafs fan thing to get him in than, than anything else. And I get other fan bases questioning it. I wasn't upset he wasn't announced. I would have been shocked if he was. But I think he's just, if he gets in, it's going to be someone who will, people finally will go finally or others will question it. But it won't be an immediate thing. I guess it doesn't help that the only team that Cujo was really good for was the Leafs. No, because there's always a lot of uh, accusations of Leafs bias when it comes to some Hockey Hall of Fame announcements as well. And usually I looked it up. It's like, yeah, usually at least one inductee has some kind of connection to the Leafs every year. Um, it's been getting less and less lately because there's more and more teams. But yeah, every two years, at least there's one inductee with a connection to the Leafs. But I mean, hey, it's the center of the hockey universe. So what can you expect? Yeah, and I mean, I know as Senators fans that we've always said this, that there was always that least bias, especially when a guy like Daniel Alfredson was a snub year after year. Yeah, and that's, you know, I, I mean, a little team rivalry played into my my reaction with that. Well, yeah, we got some Dean in. Of course, Alfredson went good in because he played for the Senators. But, I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard when you're uh, – a newer, they're not a newer team, but you know, a, a newer team compared to a lot of others, and you haven't had that history of, of players, and you're what like a great player that played for you keeps getting ignored, and it's hard not to take that personally. I absolutely what? understand people wanting Alfredson in and not getting that attention. So, but he's in now, as you know. Thank God they don't put caps on players; otherwise, it would have been funny if they put a Red Wings cap on. Because, like, here's the thing: I don't think. The Toronto bias is as, great, as egregious as people make it out to be when Guy Carbono and Kevin fucking <laughs> are in the hall. Let's let's get the bias laid on the teams that really deserve it. And honestly, it's dynasty bias more than anything. If there's a bias, if you played on a dynasty team, you're probably going to the Hall of Fame just for just for being the third liner on the '60s Canadians. Yep. Or even Andy Moog, who's a backup in Edmonton. Yeah, yeah. If you just hang around long enough, you know, you'll people will go, oh, there's a guy from that run of championships we never inducted. Let's get him in there. Yeah, yeah. if there's a city that doesn't deserve any favors, it's Edmonton. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, then again, those people had to live there, so. Uh, that's all they got. That's true. <laughs> that is true. 
So Adam, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule to do this segment with us. Now, before we close it off, where can our listeners find you on social media and where can they fly, where can they find the pension plan puppets? Well, you can find pension plan puppets at easy enough, hard to say, but uh, pensionplanpuppets.com. Uh, you can find all of our work there. We've imported all of our past articles. Everything moved over, not the images. So if it was an image-based article, it might not work anymore. But, you know, all those texts, everything from day one moved over. So our archives are still well alive. If you want to read about how a potato is smarter than Dave Nonis or how Steve Simmons lied about hot dogs, that still exists. Um, you can find me. I am on the site formerly known as Twitter. You can find me at El Seldo, E-L-S-E-L-D-O. And I'm also on Blue Sky under that same name, but the usernames are ridiculous and dumb there. So I, it's El Seldo dot something dot something. Just look me up and then I'm there. Now, the final question we're asking all of our people who are doing these segments with us, how do you see your team finishing the 2023-24 season in the division? In the division, yeah. they'll be fighting for the top spot. I wouldn't be surprised if they were first. I wouldn't be surprised if they were third. It's always a very close race with Tampa in there. And I never count out the Bruins, even though they lost their top two centers. Those guys will figure something out. But, nope, I'm going overly optimistic. First place in the Atlantic. Presenting the Montreal Canadiens as a returning guest to the show. Please welcome back to the show, Scott Cowan. Scott, how's it going, man? Welcome back to the show. Doing well, so thanks for having me. So, Scott, I'm super excited to have you back, not only because I believe this would be your third time here on the Third Line Plug Sensecast, but also because we've got to talk about the Montreal Canadiens, and also we've got to get a bit of an update on what you've been up to since your last mm-hmm. appearance. Uh, well, yeah, so since last, fellas, I've mostly just been working on writing for uh, Tony Marinero's Sick podcast. I've been doing part-time work with them for about a year now. And I also just recently got back into contributing for Fansided. I'm working with a winning habit covering the Montreal Canadiens for this upcoming initial season. And aside from that, I'm just focusing on my studies and things like that and trying to cover the Habs and follow the NHL best, as best I can. Awesome. Now, you're saying that you're getting back into writing. What sort of post should we expect for this upcoming season? Uh, my usual stuff, covering the minor leagues, the ECHL overseas, and just following where former Habs are at nowadays across this uh, wide hockey landscape. Excellent. Any Hab in particular? Uh, at the moment, the guy that I'm most fascinated by is Jordan Wheel, because Jordan Wheel is currently challenging for the KHL scoring title. So I think that's a pretty interesting storyline in of itself. Some guys adjust to the uh, larger ice surface better than other players, and Wheel's a guy I think is perfectly suited for the KHL uh, play style. Good to hear. Yeah, it really is crazy how certain players, for whatever reason, they don't really adapt well to the NHL ice, but they go overseas and they just dominate. Yeah, well, it it also goes both ways. You have guys like, uh, I remember a story, so when Dwight King was acquired by the Canadians, it was very much a hated move at the time, and it is still today. After Dwight King played for Montreal, he went to the KHL. He got bought out one year into his two-year deal because of his performance issues. So some guys adjust really well to the bigger ice, and some guys struggle mightily on the bigger ice. It totally depends on the play style and the type of player, and it's, it really, it is really interesting to see guys who dominated in the AHL who just can't do anything overseas and end up bouncing around all over the place. I, I 
always wanted to know, like, what player on the Habs today do you think could dominate on the bigger ice? On the Habs today, I feel I think like the guy who proved that he could dominate on the bigger on the bigger ice is Philip Maillet, the guy the Habs signed out of the KHL. He was playing with uh, Mag uh, Magnus Metallurg. He was the their first line center for the past two seasons. He was one of the top scoring players in the league, and now he's going to be the captain in Laval this year. But in terms of guys on the Habs roster who I think would play really well in the KHL, Chris Weidman is uh, ultimately my pick for a guy who I think is really, really suited to larger ice service. He led all KHL defensemen in scoring the year before the Habs signed him. So he's definitely a really uh, interesting player to watch. Yeah, especially given uh, how weird of a career he had, especially with the yeah. he had in Ottawa. He was unfortunately the, uh, yeah, he was unfortunately the, the recipient of a very uh, unfortunate situation with the Sens back in the day, and he's the one who was the odd guy out and uh, undeserving. I think he was a good player for the Sens in the end. I think so, but yeah. ultimately, I think he kind of just became what he was. But I do think that hmm. the whole thing with Ubergate really derailed his career. Now, we're talking about the Montreal Canadiens. Last season was just a season that the Hab fans would love to forget. There was a down season for Cole Caulfield. The team outside of Nick Suzuki didn't do much. Coming into this season... What sort of expectations should the Montreal Canadiens fans have? I think Craig Button summed it up best when he was talking about the half-season recap, and he mentioned the long and winding road. I feel like a lot of Canadians fans are kind of unsure as to where the team is at right now. They're really uh, intrigued by this rebuild, and they think this team has a lot of promise. They have a lot of really great prospects to come through the pipeline. But they're also wondering how far are we from being competitive and how far are we from being the team that we saw in 2014 and 2015 with Dale Weiss and P.K. Subban and all those guys who were in the show when they went to the conference finals and they had those great series against the Rangers. People wonder how far are we from that happening again. And I personally think we're quite a ways away, but one thing that is nice, and I feel like one thing that the Habs will definitely be going to the season is they'll be fun to watch. They were fun to watch last season in spite of all the injuries and COVID troubles that they had. And they'll be fun to watch again this year. They have a bunch of really fast, young, talented players who have good offensive ability. And while they might not win a ton of games again, they'll definitely make each game interesting and they'll at least give the fans something to cheer about every single night. Yeah, now with the terrible season that they had last year, the Montreal Canadiens ended up losing the draft. They landed... <laughs> David Runbacher, fifth overall. And I know the Montreal Canadian fans were just beside themselves when they got taken. As somebody who covers the Habs, like what did you make about the Hab fans' reaction when he got taken? The thing is, I didn't know much of anything about Ryan Backer when the Habs selected him. I didn't know really who the guy was. I, I wasn't really following the draft class that closely. I think obviously the elephant in the room that the Habs fans were wanting the Habs to take was Mishkov. Uh, he was the elephant in the room. He was the player who Habs fans were really, really intrigued by. He's the guy who had the super high ceiling. And then he ended up going seventh overall. Now, personally for me, I think Reinbacher was the correct pick in this situation, at least in the short term. Obviously, Mishkov has his high ceiling and he has his huge potential and he's proven he can score at a high level. But again, there's all the issues of him. It'll take years before he comes to North America. Who knows when he will come to North America? There's all the issues with dealing with the KHL right now and all the issues of bringing players over from the KHL to North America. And I feel like the Habs are in a situation now where they don't want any more of that behind the scenes stuff to deal with. They already had enough of it when they had the Mark Bergevin era, and they already had enough of it when they had the Dominic Ducharme era. So I feel like they just wanted to take a safe player who they know has high potential, and a guy who will, they think will top out to at least be an NHL or even if he doesn't become a superstar. I feel like the main thing to note with Reinbacher that a lot of Habs fans might look over is that he was played a full season in a men's league and was one of the top defensive uh, defensive defensemen on his team. That says a lot enough, that says enough about his development as it is and what kind of player he is, that he can keep up with those guys in a league like the German League, which is a very talented league in its own right. Do you feel that it's one of those picks that the Montreal 
fans would have hated regardless. If they, you know, they take Renbacher, they're not happy. They take Mishkov. They take Mishkov. He never comes over. I feel like, yeah, I feel like it's a bit of a double-edged sword. Like, no matter who you pick, there's going to be detractors on both sides. But I feel like with Mishkov, for me personally, his I haven't seen enough of his upside that it's worth taking the risk to pick him. I haven't seen enough of him consistently in, in terms of his stability where I feel like he's worth the risk. And I feel like the Habs made a good choice in picking Reinbacher because they already have Gouli and they already have so many solid defensemen. And adding this guy just gives them that much more security on the back end, which is something that they haven't had for a very, very, very long time. Is Mishkov even really getting much play time in the KHL this year? So on that note, I've had a lot of people mention that Mishkov wasn't playing at all for SKA. In fact, he was scratched for Galchenyuk in the first game. Uh, that's the player who was put in the lineup ahead of him. But the weird thing about the KHL is that leagues like SKA and CSK Moscow are partly funded by Putin and partly funded by the Russian government. Those teams are built to win. Those teams aren't built to develop players. And for a long time, the KHL had a really bad reputation of taking young players and never giving them any playing time, playing them eight minutes a night. And you can look back at other uh, KHL imports like a turn Panarin, Radulov, uh, even Ovechkin. All those guys were playing very minimal minutes at the time in which they were playing. And then when they transitioned over to North America, they were given more ice time. But that's just the way the KHL's handled development for its entire history, unfortunately. And for me personally, I feel like the best thing that's going to happen to Mishkov is he gets loaned to HC Soshi, who's a much worse team. And he's going to play first line minutes there and he's going to prove that he can keep up, keep up at this level. Okay, so it's just like a weird league structural thing. Yeah, it, it varies between all sorts of different leagues. And again, it's kind of the same situations that Seattle fans were clamoring about with Shane Wright. Like the, the Kraken were basically handling Wright last year like a KHL handles a top prospect. So it was very, very bizarre to see for the first month of the season. Yeah, well, even talking about Shane Wright, I mean, if he was being developed, developed and handled the way he is in Seattle in Montreal, I mean, could you imagine what the reaction would have been from the Canadians fans? Oh, my God. It's, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't develop right in Seattle the way uh, – you couldn't develop right in Montreal the way they developed him in Seattle. Montreal would have been playing him in the NHL. They would have been trying to give him a role. They would have been trying to find him somewhere on the team. But I feel like the thing that happened with the Kraken is the Kraken became competitive a lot quicker than they thought they would. Philip Grubauer figured figures out. Martin Jones – unbelievably posted 27 wins out of complete nowhere, even though he didn't have the best numbers. And so, yeah, I feel like a lot of uh, a lot of the Kraken season last year was just unexpected developments, and these guys who they picked in the expansion draft, like Jared McCann, taking that next step and truly becoming top-line players. McCann was always a solid player. I never thought McCann would be a 40-goal, 70-point player. I don't think a lot of other Seattle Kraken fans thought that either. So I feel like a lot of Sheen Rice development was just in line with the Kraken's changes in their uh, in their uh, rebuilding path. And the same thing happened with Vegas. That's why they got rid of Cody Glass. That's why they got rid of Suzuki. So. Now, speaking about Nick Suzuki, as bad as the Montreal Canadiens were last season, he was the biggest bright spot on that team mm-hmm. last season. Coming into this year, given that he almost hit 70 points, is 70 points the benchmark for him this year? I feel like it should be the benchmark for him, but I feel like the main elephant in the room again is that Suzuki's been an Ironman this point in his career, but with the way the injury troubles have hit the Habs, it's one of those things where I don't want to say that it'll be a, that it won't be an issue next year, but I can't say that it won't be because it probably will be. It's happened the past years in Montreal, and if history has shown us anything, it's probably going to continue for at least a little while longer. A lot of these guys have durability issues. Kirby Dock has durability issues. Caulfield has durability issues. Gouli showed he had durability issues last year, and a lot of their top prospects just couldn't stay healthy. And I feel like with Suzuki, while I hope he'll continue this Ironman streak, I feel like we're, we can't be certain of what's going to happen. But for me personally, I'd put 60 as his benchmark and then 70 would be a really great year for him. But 60 is what he's what he can guarantee. And I feel like 60 is a great thing for a player to guarantee in this day and age. Well, do you feel like with the way that the Habs have rushed these young kids to the NHL has contributed to their injury-prone problems in the league? 
it, it, a lot of it just contributes to their confidence problems for a lot of the time when you rush a guy into the NHL and you're just you're trying to find him a role when he's not ready to find that role. Like the same thing happened with Slavkowski last year. In my opinion, Slavkowski should have never played in the NHL. He should have stayed in Laval. He should have gone overseas. He should have played in a different league because he wasn't ready for the NHL and it was obvious from his first moments in the league. And for me personally, I don't get why you would play a guy. I mean, obviously with the expectations of the first overall pick, but in today's NHL, that doesn't mean anything anymore. Development is treated entirely differently and the pick doesn't really mean anything. It's how the players developed. Obviously back in the day with Doug Wickenheiser and stuff like that, you would have to force those guys into the NHL. But now we're in a much more prospect oriented league and players are allowed to develop at their own pace. So I feel like for me personally, the Habs moving out of rushing these guys in the NHL is just a product of where the NHL's headed. Because yes, for a very, very, very long time, Montreal had a lot of issues with rushing guys into the NHL. Who knows how Lars Eller's career could have turned out had Montreal not rushed him into the NHL the way they did and forced him to try and find a bottom six role and not play him all over the lineup. There's a lot of guys that Montreal acquired who were incredibly talented players who went on to have solid careers, but they could have been that much better had Montreal actually developed them right. Yeah, well, even with a guy like Terry Ryan, for example, I know people over the yep. years, especially with him now becoming successful through mm-hmm. like Spit and Chicklets, and now he's a cast member on Shorzy. There's always been the talk of what he could have been in the NHL had he not been hurt and the Habs had developed properly. I wrote a I wrote an article on the top uh, five worst Habs draft busts, and I went like deep into each player because it's easy to talk about the obvious ones like Louis LeBlanc, but going back, guys like Terry Ryan, guys like Lindsay Vallis, guys like uh, Eric Charon and all those guys are a lot more fascinating stories because for me personally, I mentioned this in my article, I hate calling Terry Ryan a bust because of everything about his career and what he's done after hockey and how his career kind of panned out. It's almost more a product of how terrible the Habs management was than him truly being a bust of a player. And also just poor decisions along the way. But yeah, I feel like it's one of those things where it is nice to see like as we're moving forward that... um these guys are kind of getting like a reappraisal and we're looking at their careers in sort of a different context and trying to understand what went wrong. It happened with Neil Yakupov too. Neil Yakupov has recently come out and given some interviews which kind of point to how bad the Oilers coaching staff was when they drafted him. And in hindsight, it kind of explains a lot. Dallas Eakins was a completely terrible head coach to lead that Oilers squad. You can't take a team with high offensive stars and put a defensive-minded coach in charge of them. That doesn't work. We saw what happened with Ralph, Ralph, Ralph Kruger in Buffalo. He almost ended Jeff Skinner's career. <laughs> Or Ralph Kruger in Edmonton. Yeah, there is. I, I, it's defensive. These heavy defensive coaches like Daryl Sutter aren't don't work in today's NHL because the teams that they used to be able to coach don't really exist anymore. If you think about like the 2004 Flames that Sutter coached, that team was just full of guys who put their head down. They went to practice every single day. They were the first guy on the ice, last guy off the ice. They weren't the most talented guys in the world, but the reason they made it so far is because they worked as a team. And in today's NHL, with all the big superstars that are on it, isn't really the case anymore. As much as I'd like it to be, those teams were fascinating to watch, but they're a product of a past era. Yeah. Well, I know even as ha- as Senators fans, it's hard not to point out when you're talking about a defensive-minded coach with offensive stars, where we had Jacques Martin as our head coach for so many years. Yeah, Jacques Martin was... Uh, it's always weird because I feel like the main thing people bring up when it comes to the Habs' past tenure over the past 20-ish years is 2010 and 2021, because those were the two runs where they kind of made a name for themselves, and they went deep into the playoffs. Both those runs were complete flukes, and I don't mean to say that as like a Habs manner, but both those runs were completely determined on Yaroslav Halak and Carey Price deciding that they wanted to go far in the playoffs, and they carried had these Habs teams far into the playoffs. And 
I feel like that's how a lot of these defensive teams won in the end. As much as people want to look at it otherwise, the Oilers had Dwayne Rollison, the Flames had Mika Kiprasov. But in today's NHL, first off, that, that that true starter who plays 60 games isn't really a thing anymore. And two, the best teams play with two goalie systems. Vegas had a five-goalie system pretty much last year, and they won the Cup. So at the end, it's whatever guy's getting the wins and whatever guy's healthy is the guy you should be playing. And the Habs for a long time had to deal with the fact that whenever they got a promising goalie, they couldn't keep him because Price was in the equation. And now the Blues are dealing with the same thing with Jordan Binnington. Any talented goalie they draft, they can't develop because Binnington's right there and he's never going to leave the crease. Mm-hmm. Now, there is one big guy I want to talk about, Cole Caulfield. He had such a down season for the Habs last year. Coming into this year, what's what should the fans expect out of him? And what does he need to do to reach his full potential? Caulfield needs to prove that he can stay healthy and that he has durability. Because the main issue I have with Caulfield is that he was on a great pace last year, uh, 36 points in 46 games, 26 goals. It was a great pace he was on. Then he dislocated his shoulder twice. And that right there was a big red flag for me because at a, a certain point, Caulfield is pretty much already filled out as he is. He can't really get much bigger than he is. And how I can't, how certain are we to say that if he gets hit by a guy like Orion Reeves or any of the big old boy centers in the NHL, that it isn't going to happen again and that he isn't going to dislocate his shoulder again or something isn't bad, isn't going to happen again. So the main thing I need to be proved with Caulfield is that we've seen that he can score. We've seen that he's this offensive dynamo, but he needs to have the other aspects of his game that make it so he can be that offensive player for long periods of time. Because otherwise, he's just going to be one of those what if players who plays great and then gets hurt, plays great, then gets hurt, and then we're just left wondering what, what could have been had he played a full season. Mm-hmm. Almost like uh, Patrick Eves or an Alex Kovlov. Yeah. Pa- Patrick Eves is a great example of that. Yeah, Eves at the peak of his career disappeared. And it's just a shame. It's a shame how that happens to guys. But with Caulfield, especially, Montreal fans are so excited about him being the true first true superstar the Habs could have that it'd be a shame if that's what happened. And I think the Habs are hoping that he can work on those aspects and be smarter along the board so he isn't making plays that are not suited for his size trying to take on guys bigger than him or just not making the right play. So indirectly, this offseason involved one of the big trades with Eric Carlson going to the mm-hmm. Pittsburgh Penguins. Montreal was a third team in that. What are your thoughts on the players that the Habs acquired out of this deal? I feel like it's very, very interesting that the Habs basically got Mike Matheson for free. And I feel like a lot of that is a part of how completely uh, incompetent Ron Hextall was and how he should probably never be allowed to manage another team again. I hope he doesn't manage another team again. But uh, yeah, the Habs traded uh, Jeff Petrie and Ryan Pelling for Matheson. The Penguins released Paling because he didn't do anything. And then they traded Petrie back to Montreal. And in the end, Montreal got a very talented, young, promising defenseman for the Red Wings for Petrie. So I feel like this move is just a perfect example of how Ken Hughes likes to trade. He likes to get players back and then get value that helps the team moving forward going into the future. What Mark Bergman would do every single year is that he'd rebuild the team for one year, patch holes, rebuild for one year, patch holes, rebuild for one year. And that can only work so long before things start falling apart. So what Hughes is doing now is that he's focusing on five years ahead and he's making trades that are going to help the Habs in the long term. Because right now they don't need a ton of help in the short term because they're just trying to rebuild and they're trying to develop these guys. What they need is more development. They need more prospects. They don't need guys like Mike Hoffman and these stiffs who are going to be playing 15 minutes a night taking away ice time from the guys who should actually be playing. I hope Hoffman does uh, does great in San Jose, but he's just not a guy who fit on this Habs team anymore. And he's such a product of the Mark Bergevin era that it's kind of funny that he stuck around as long as he did. I just think it's hilarious that Hoffman got traded for Carlson. It's it's a pretty 
it's a pretty crazy story to say the least. And it's just it's a shame because when the Habs signed Hoffman, I was really excited because he had a pretty decent run in Florida. But again, Favertime is undefeated, and Favertime catches up the guys quicker than you might think. Like with Petrie, Petrie didn't have a good year last year in Pittsburgh. He struggled. He and it wasn't just a case of him being unhappy like he was in Montreal last year. He just wasn't the same player, and he probably isn't gonna be the same player again, which is an issue when you're getting paid six point two five million to be the guy you once were. Mm-hmm. Um, I I did want to ask about Tristan Jari, who's now a member of the Habs. Like, what are the Habs going to do with him? Given I mean, that- you mean Casey DeSmith? Casey oh, DeSmith. Casey, sorry, my apologies. So, what what do you see that they're going to do with Casey DeSmith, given that Jake Allen's in the net? Are they going to do with the two goalie tandem? I think the weird thing for me is people look at Montembeau, Allen, and DeSmith. And they see DeSmith as being the AHL guy. I don't see DeSmith as being the AHL guy. I see DeSmith as the guy who's going to fight for the backup spot. And the thing about Montembeau that's very bizarre is that Montembeau is one of those goalies where it's he's either all in or he's all out. He can have a really great game, and then he can allow four goals on ten shots in the next game and get pulled, and then that's the end of it. He doesn't really have the consistency, but he's proven that when he plays well, he plays really, really well. And he can actually carry the Habs, and he can lead them the wins in games where they probably didn't deserve to win. But I feel like for me personally, I want stability in it. And while Jake Allen literally has a cap where if you play him more than like 25 games, he gets hurt like every single year. That's what the Habs have proven. You cannot play Jake Allen too many games. But I feel like DeSmith is a guy who has never played a tremendously large role. And I feel like he's a guy who could prove that he can be be something in a larger role. And maybe be like a Martin Jones type character where he doesn't play great, but he gets you wins and he makes the solid saves. And honestly talking about a team like the LA Kings, the LA Kings got that last year in Phoenix Copley. Phoenix Copley saved the LA Kings season, whether people like to believe it or not, and he came out of complete nowhere to save the Kings season. So I can't see why DeSmith can't do the same thing at a smaller context in Montreal. The interesting thing is why did uh, Pittsburgh give up on DeSmith is the question. I don't honestly, I feel like Pittsburgh has always had a problem with their goalies. And again, with the trade for Carlson, they're going all in with a goalie with Jari who has injury troubles and hasn't shown that he can be fully healthy. So it's very bizarre to go all in. I get that they're just doing it because Crosby, Latang, and Malkin are on the way out and they just want to go for one last run at a cup. But for me, I just find it interesting how Kyle Dubas is doing the same thing he did with the Leafs, but with guys who are 10 years older. And he thinks it's going to work out the same way. It probably will work out the same way, but that's not probably what Penguins fans want is another first-round exit, especially when you... Gave up all that to get Carlson's. So, Tim, do you have any more questions you want to ask before we... Yeah, do we have any kind of idea where some of the lesser high-profile young players, like, say, a uh, Harvey Pinard, are going to do for the next season? I feel like the biggest question for me of Harvey Pinard is that I just hope he doesn't become another Charles Huneau situation, where the Habs hype up this guy who was developed in the AHL, and then it turns out that he's nothing more than just an AHL player. But I feel like Pinard has the work ethic, and he also has the nose for the net that uh, Hudon didn't have. So while I don't think he'll be like a world beater, like a lot of people may be expecting after the hot start he had last year, I can see him scoring 16 goals, 17 assists, being like a Blake Coleman type guy, you know, puts in 16 goals, 17 assists, plays like 60 games. And it's just a solid spark plug. And I don't think he needs to be anything more than that for the Canadians at this moment. Okay. Uh, one final question I do want to ask. We are an Ottawa Senators podcast and the Senators were recently purchased by Michael Einlauer. And I know that your dad and you've mentioned the fact your dad does cover the Habs for one of the big papers in Montreal. What have you heard about Michael Adler that should get Sens fans excited about him? I actually don't know a tremendous about, about the new owner of the Sens, but I feel like the one thing that I think Sens fans can be excited about with new ownership is the fact that they're moving forward into a place where they really have a super promising team. And they're also getting out of one of the issues I had with Ottawa or with Ottawa's comparison last year is that people were trying to compare Ottawa and Montreal. 
And for me personally, that's an insult to guys like Claude Giroux to compare the Senators and the Canadians. The Senators aren't a rebuilding team anymore. The rebuild is done and the build is starting. And guys like Claude Giroux didn't sign in Ottawa to be a part of a rebuild. They signed to win. They signed to go into the playoffs. So I feel like one thing that this new ownership group is going to bring is that it's going to put the focus on winning. And with, this, with the team Ottawa has, they should be winning. And I feel like winning should be the main focus at this point because guys like Tim Stutzel aren't prospects anymore. Tim Stutzel is a emerging star and one of the best players in the one of the best young players in the NHL currently. So and Brady Kachuk already is. And again, also Claude Giroux is it's not exactly like Father Time's cut up to him. He had 79 points last year. And he's still a guy who when he plays with great players, he plays great. Yeah, he definitely brings that dad energy too. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the main thing a lot of people are going to be also uh, looking over is Kubalik. I'm actually excited to see how Kubalik will play in Ottawa because often the Ottawa fans were upset with Dabrikit being gone, but I feel like Kubalik will slot into a similar role Dabrikit can play. And people forget that Kubalik had 30 goals as a rookie his first season with Chicago. So this is another guy who's proven he can have a nose for the net. And I feel like if anyone on Ottawa is going to surprise people, I think Kubalik's the guy who will put up numbers that most people will be like, wow, I did not see that coming. The weird thing with Kubalik is the guy still hasn't been officially introduced by the team. So, and there's not enough money to sign Shane Pinto. People are wondering if Kubelik's going to be on the way out so they can shine, sign Pinto plus sign Sokolov to like an entry, like a cheap deal just to get 13. Yeah. Like that's the problem with Ottawa is that too much dead money. Yeah. Well, especially with Anderson, with Jake Sanderson now being signed to that massive extension, which is much deserved. I love Sanderson, but. Well, thankfully, that doesn't take. That's not effective until next mm-hmm. year when all the dead money comes off. Yeah. Very much so. So, Scott, I can't thank you for taking time out of your schedule to do this segment with us today. Before we head off for the close, where can our listeners find your writing and where can they find you on social media? So, at the moment, you can find me writing for A Winning Habit. It's part of the Fan Sided Network and it covers the Montreal Canadiens year round. You can also find me contributing for Tony Marinero's Sick Podcast. You can find that by Googling Sick Podcast on YouTube, on Google. And you can find me on Twitter at 9SecondsOT, on an Instagram at Deleted Designs, where I post my artwork. Uh, Pretty much weekly so yeah you can find me all over the all over the internet yeah yeah so if you look up scott on x or twitter whatever you want to call it you will notice his pin tweet is of the montreal expos mm-hmm. I, I uh funnily enough i grew up we will i was never really a big baseball fan growing up so my favorite team growing up was the expos because i grew up with my dad's stories of them and the legends and the history of the team so Anybody I talk to my age who are in their 30s in Montreal, they'll say that I'm an Expos fan and I stopped watching baseball when they left. And there's a surprising amount of people in Montreal who stopped watching baseball when this team left. It's sad. Yeah. And the final question, and we're asking everybody who are doing these segments with us, at the end of the 2023-24 season, how do you see your team finishing in the Atlantic? I... I see the Habs finishing towards the bottom, but in terms of conference standings, I can see the Habs being like a 10th place, 11th place team. Like not towards the bottom, but kind of right in between like that middle, that no man's land, so to speak, where you're not quite the basement dweller, but you're showing promise for the future. So you're saying better than Philly? Better than Philly, yeah. Let's say that, yeah. Presenting the Ottawa Senators is one of the three hosts from the Sens Tennial podcast. Please welcome to the show, Matt Nafe. Matt, how's it going, man? Welcome to the show. I'm very stoked to be here, fellas. It's it's great. Uh, the Sens 
is is almost in session and yeah how are you guys doing doing very well man doing very well just getting super excited about this new season wrapping up our season preview show for this season and Matt, we're going to have a great segment here to do with this, not only because this is your first time on the podcast with us, but also because anytime we get to chat with somebody new, we always like to ask how they became a fan of the team they shared for. So for yourself, it may seem like an obvious question, but how did you become a fan of the Senate? I actually have kind of a fun story about how I became a Senators fan. Um, obviously, you know, I live in I live in Ottawa. I'm very lucky that uh, I, my hometown Senators are are where I live. Um, but I wasn't super into hockey up until I was about 12 or 13. And it was only because my, one of my good friends, Bryce, uh, asked if I wanted to go to the game that night. Uh, it also just so happened that Bryce's uncle was Tim Murray. And (laughs) yeah, so we went there and we went and like, I toured around, uh, like, the staffing office in the bottom of the building, you know, obviously like Tim and and Brian weren't there at the time, but I met some of the, like the, the operations staff and so on. And then we get to our seats and uh, it was, they were like 118 row F like they were really good seats. And we won in overtime off of a Jason Smith slap shot. It was against Dallas. And then (laughs) That the, the night wasn't over. Uh, Bryce and his aunt were like, "All right, let's let's go downstairs." I was like, "What do you mean?" And Bryce, I, I forgot to mention, Bryce also told me to bring a a, a book and a marker. Uh, so we went downstairs and we met a bunch of the players. I met Jason Spezza, Mike Fisher, Ilya Zubov, Chris Campoli, and Alexander Picard, and. Can I can I guess the year? Can I guess the year of this? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so Jason Smith was on the team. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna be wrong on this. 2009. Am I right? Am I wrong? Yeah, it it was actually 2009. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was trying to figure out what year what year I was 12 or 13, and and it was 2009, and uh, it was right before I became a junior or like a like a, a freshman mm. in, in high school and it was my grade eight year and then that was actually the same time I got really into hockey and was like oh I want to play hockey and then I became a goalie and I've been playing goalie ever since I like peruse goalie stuff to try and find like sends uh pro stock gear so I used to have Andrew Hammond's pads from the run like what yeah like when he was the hamburglar that was pretty cool i still have robin lenders pants uh they have a massive hole in the crotch but they are very comfortable so you just got to keep going with it now so. i gotta ask given that you have andrew hammond's pants did it come with the hip injury too uh luckily uh it was the pads <laughs> and oh. so i did i did have a couple uh knee problems but uh i have since moved on from those pads and uh I, I kind of it's it kind of sucks that I did like I would like to maybe get them back because, you know, it was one of the most miraculous runs in sport in in hockey history, truthfully. So maybe I'll reach out to the guy that <laughs> I sold them to and see where they're at. <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, even talking about the hamburger run, like I just remember 
how the fans at that point, I think when I can't remember what the record was, we had like 20 or 21 wins and fans were going, so uh, we're tanking for McDavid now. Yeah. And then all of a sudden <laughs> the hamburger run happens. It's like, yeah. and that was just such a fun time to be in Ottawa too. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun. I remember the last game when we like qualified for, for playoff or clinch. Oh, were you, did you go to the CTC for that? Uh, I actually was in my friend's basement oh, with, with okay. all my buddies and we were watching. And at the time it was, it was the vibes were immaculate, you know? Oh yeah. The Sens doing this was, was outstanding. I, I remember when Andy went down, I remember when Leonard went down and everybody was like, well, that's it. You know, that it, we're done. We are going to tank for McDavid. And then they just went on this miraculous run. It was just exceptional to be around the team at the time. Um, everybody just felt so good about it. And I still like, I'm still bullish on the fact that if we had started Craig Anderson in the playoffs, we would have won that round, but you know, hindsight is always 2020. Mm -hmm. It really is. And I mean, even with that year, you look back and given the fact we lost all of our goalies with the exception of Hammond, the fact that we had so many guys step up, not just Carlson, but you had Turris who stepped up. Yeah. Joe yeah. Really stepped up. You had a rookie Mark Stone that came up and, stepped up so god it was such a good run though I really it was as i said the vibes were immaculate <laughs> it was man it was so moving away from talking about how you become a sense fan let's talk about your guys's podcast the sense tenial podcast and you know it's funny like when we started this podcast in 2017 there was very few of us out there i can count on yeah them. and you guys were sort of one of those podcasts that I followed on the way up and I see how much you guys have grown the show. So I got to ask, like what inspired you guys to start the Centennial podcast? Yeah. I mean, before that, thank you. Like, thanks for following along since we've, since we've like kind of started, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Obviously there are a lot of senators podcasts and, and trying to kind of set yourself apart right now is it's, it's challenging uh, obviously, but everybody in the in the the space and the community is is really great so i have to give full credit to creating the centennial and creating the name and the whole nine to uh the proper one matt i am other matt on the on the <laughs> podcast but he he was he was the one that came up with the idea and we actually met in university in 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 history classes and he knew i was a sense fan and he at the time was writing for the hockey writers okay. and he sort of had a bit of a following there and decided, well, you know, I think it would be kind of cool to have like an audio version because I think the only, the, the only one in the space at the time was like you guys locked on kind of, and uh, welcome to your Carlson years. Um, oh, wow. That is old. That's a yeah. The deep cut. Yeah. And I like, if there are any podcasts listening that I didn't name, that's been around for quite a while, I apologize. Um, so it was, it was one of those things where we kind of just, he, he sent me a message on, on Facebook and was like, Hey, I know you were a sense fan. Would you be interested in doing this? And I said, yeah, like who, who else is, is interested. And, um, Bennett is, is like, I, I love that guy. He is, he's exceptionally well-spoken. 
he knows what he's talking about and just is, is a really good guy. And I think that's why we all kind of mesh really well. Matt is like sort of the, the, the leader of the ship. Bennett always has these interesting and like thought provoking takes. And I'm like the shit poster. Like I'll just, <laughs> I'm allowed to swear on the podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it's, it's cool. It's a really cool dynamic being able to sort of like just have conversations. And I mean, I gotta say the, the, the boom, we actually kind of just did some, some numbers and like the boom from July to, to October, like we did like 10,000 views on YouTube. And that's like, I mean, obviously like I've watched creators and they just dunk on the millions, but you know, being like a sense podcast doing that, it feels really cool. And we've gotten some really cool guests and, and the, the, the coolest and like my sort of podcast highlight was, was definitely getting Jamie McLennan. Um, and that guy is the best. Like I can't speak highly enough of, of that guy. He makes time for us. Just, just an all around great dude. Uh, I didn't know he was best friends with Chad Kroger and I am like a diehard Nickelback fan. I'll fight anybody if they they want to talk talk shit. Like that's yeah, hell yeah. Let's go. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's it's been a really cool ride. I think we started back like early, late 2019, early 2020, and then we had to kind of shut down because of COVID. Um, and then we all sort of moved to the virtual platform that we that you guys uh or listeners can see now but uh yeah it's it's very it's a very cool time to be in the senators podcast space a lot of podcasts and they do more of an audio version not a video version was that a big inspiration for you guys to do more of a youtube show so that was kind of uh like another matt direction that we we had all sort of talked about because we did we were strictly an audio show and I mean, if you probably go back maybe a year or two ago, uh, we did start posting on YouTube, but it was just audio. And then we all kind of were like, well, we have webcams. We're not like butt ugly. So, <laughs> <laughs> so like we can just put a graphic behind us and, and make it look good and we'll be fine. And uh, yeah, like I think it's it's kind of cool just to having a uh, like a video format is you know when somebody like you're at a sends game and somebody kind of looks at you and then like looks at you again and you're like ah yeah you're a fan <laughs> <laughs> or uh or a listener i mean yeah i don't want to to pump our tires or anything but it's it's pretty cool like i mean we're not we're not huge by any means but it's it's cool to know that people listen and and value our uh our takes how either how bad or good they are but no i do get to ask given you did mention jamie mcclennan have you had ian mendez on the show oh yeah i love that guy he's so amazing <laughs> and it's funny when you mentioned he says oh am i allowed to swear on here we got ian mendez to say fuck on the show no shit yes that's awesome Right there, that's where the bar is, and we tell everyone, that, yeah, they want to swear. Ian Mendes said, "Fuck on our show." So that's crazy. That he, yes, he was, uh, like my first, 
like our first career milestone. Like when we got Mendez, it was pretty awesome because he is once again, a person that just makes all the time in the world for you. And um, I can't, you know, speak highly enough of him. And he's been on our show quite a few times and just, just knowing that like he remembers us and like, he's like, Oh yeah. The Centennial guys, like they're great, great folks. And it's just like, ah, my man, <laughs> I remember you on, on uh, channel 27 of sports now, Ontario, like doing the whole uh, hosting of, of every Sens game. And like, it's, it's just cool. Like it's, it's really cool. So coming into this season, like, do you guys have a guest or maybe a list of guests that you would like to have on the show? So it's kind of a, we, we had to, we had to reel Matt in a bit because he, he loves guests. And I think guests are great because they offer a different perspective than that we have. Um, and we kind of have like a wish list of who'd we'd like to get. Um, but during the summer, we were like, Matt, please, baby, no more guests. <laughs> like <laughs> we want to have a bit of a summer. And he was like, ah, yeah, you're right. I get it. Um, but like last year, I think uh, we like our our number one target was Jamie and we got him. So like we try and look for people we've had on before, like we've had returning guests of like Will Scouch, Chris Peters. We've had CJ from TSN 1200, Chris Stevenson, like he's he's an excellent interview as well. Really great guy. And we actually just had and i think we're dropping it tomorrow david pagnota on so uh there's some interesting like sends rumory tidbits in there yeah we try and kind of just like go by the seat of our pants sometimes but we we sort of like pinpoint maybe one or two that we'd really like to get that season and we we also really like doing like a um, a listener live stream, maybe once or twice a season, just to get people who, you know, either listen to the show or just like want a platform to talk about the sense and do that for like an hour or two. And that's always one of my really like favorite ones because it just, you get to hear sense fans talk about sense hockey. And like, that's, that's really cool. It is. Now I do got to mention the next time you get Jamie McClendon on the show, get him to tell you guys the story about Slivica. <laughs> really heavy Czech alcohol where I think it was him, Pavel Dimitra, and a bunch of the Czech Republic guys who played with in St. Louis. They were drinking that one night. Okay. I I think I will. And uh just just send me how it's spelt and I'll really work on how it's how it's pronounced. And then, you know, I can I can bring it up and I'll uh I'll mention that uh Taylor from Zoomcast, you know. He was the one that uh, was saying that. So, well, except it's third line plug, not zoom. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go. That's it. I regret. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly I don't I don't blame you. Uh, I I think I was looking at one of their tweets. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I hope you know I'm leaving this in. I really am at this. Uh, <laughs> no, I, like honestly, just I mean, said back the guy on air. Come yeah, on. no, I mean, do it. Like that's fine. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, that that's a first. I don't think I we've ever been referred to as the Zoomcast, but. Oh, I yeah, I'm glad I could I could be your first. Oh, I'm uh, so sorry. <laughs> oh good lord. So Matt, 
let's talk about this year's Ottawa Senators because last season it was one of those years where you talk about the vibes being immaculate. You know, you come off hot Pierre summer, bringing Giroux, the Alex DeBrinkett trade, and we ended up not making the playoffs. And then coming into this season where you upgrade the goaltending, you start signing all of our young guys. We have a new owner in place. I yeah. gotta ask the question, this coming season, is it now playoff or bust? Yeah. Like I, I I'm I'm firmly of the the belief that we need to be making the playoffs. And I I've I've said and I've been on record that this team is better than it was last year. Um at the same point. Uh I think, you know, looking at what Alex Debrinkat could have added last year and kind of left on the table. Whereas the there's a a could have for Tarasenko and and Kubalik to absolutely cover the exact same amount of goals that he could score the season or, you know, and then some, um, and then with Chikrin being on the, on the team, that to me is, is one of those things that like you have a guy who is in the Norris conversation two years ago. Uh, you know, you have Shabbat who is coming off a bad year. Absolutely. Um, but has been one of the, you know, better defenders uh in the league for a couple of years now and then you have jake sanderson who's a monster uh i love that guy he's the best and uh i'm pretty sure we share we all share the same sentiment that he he is god tier uh and then finally like you look at the goaltending and it's it's on paper better than it was last year you know talbot is was 35 36 at the time and to me, it was like it, it, the deal made sense at the time. I liked Gustafson a lot and really thought he was the guy that had the most potential. Look what happened. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, Talbot being gone and, and us having Corpus Allo, who had a good season last year, but some questionable ones before that. And then, I mean, if if you guys guys saw the game last night where he you know absolutely just took Pittsburgh to town like he gave them nothing and so i think he can continue to do that and forsberg knees are good and he's been mr consistent and i love that guy too so i really believe this roster we're also 5 and 1 in preseason and that has been without Josh Norris and Shane Pinto and that one is crazy to me that we haven't seen them period. Yeah. Well, we'll probably get to the Pinto contract situation uh, in a bit here, but yeah. Like how weird is it that the guy's wearing a contact Jersey in the scrimmages and the practices. And then all of a sudden we get to preseason game time and uh, they're treating it with more of an abundance of caution. Absolutely. I think, I think that that kind of puts it really well that what what's going on? Like it's, you know, either it's either a red Jersey or a yellow Jersey, but it's definitely a red flag. Um, and I, I think you have to start wondering, and Bennett has mentioned this on, on our podcast, the, the fact that like, this could be uh, like a, a real worry going forward period um, because you're handling Norris with kid gloves. Uh, but we have no idea 
what what what's really going on yeah um and how bad it is do you think maybe it's a scenario where they don't want to get him hurt in the preseason i think that's absolutely uh, a fair assessment and at a point you have to kind of look at it as or hope <laughs> that uh that's what it is but at the same time you at least want to get him some reps i i think i'll be concerned if he's not in next game and I'll be very concerned if he's not in the last preseason game. Yeah. Well, talking about our goaltending situation, you got Corpusalo, like you said, he's had some shaky years, but then you have the need and I'm sorry, I'm completely blanking on the goalie's name right now. Forsberg. Forsberg, Anton Forsberg. Yeah. The fact is the guy is 31. He blows up both of his knees and he comes back like it's nothing. Like I'm 30. Yeah. If yeah. <laughs> I flew over my knees, I would not be able to walk right now. <laughs> yeah. It, <laughs> it's kind of funny when you put into perspective, like Nathan McKinnon is my age and he's made so much more money than I have and accomplished so much more. And I'm just like, I'm here talking about the sins. You know, it's like, it's one of those things when you put, put it into perspective, it's unfair to put it, put yourself up to that. But Forsberg, luck like really lucked out and with it only being mcl um and not acl because if it was acl you got to do the surgery and it's minimum six to eight months of rehabilitation and uh i i've said this on on our podcast as well which is also the zoob cast i just want to preface that i think every podcast now is the zoob cast and i'll just (laughs) Uh, but <laughs> you know, what, um, in fairness, last year's segment did have Adam from the Zoomcast. So, ah, yeah, I, I, I listen. I will never like wear this one down, and I thank you again for being so kind about my absolutely uh, ass-faced blunder. Um, <laughs> but I think um, what what really excites me about the goaltending position is that you have two very capable guys. Uh, over the course of, of Forsberg's career, he's been able to, or sorry, over the course of his time with the Sens, he has a 9-11 save percentage. A 9-11 save percentage gets us into the playoffs yeah. 10 out of 10 times. Um, I think our team save percentage last year was 898 or something, something not very good. When you have seven different goalies playing, <laughs> um, it's elite if it's the eighties, but yeah, absolutely <laughs> right. Like I, I, I've talked to people where it's like, hey, eight ninety eight got you cups back in the day, <laughs> and it's like that that doesn't cut the mustard in the league anymore. And um, you want to see your goalies play well, and I, I just feel really good about this tandem because I think. Corpus Allo, after that hip surgery, we had Aaron Portsline come on. He's he's not like his health isn't great. So, uh, you know, hoping Portsy uh, pulls through and he's he's able to get the uh, the transplant he needs. But I just wanted to put that out there. He's awesome. He is a wonderful human being. But he said Corpus Allo getting that surgery was put off by like a year and he wanted to battle through it. And then at a point you kind of just like, can't anymore and mm-hmm. he was able to finally get the surgery and then came back 
looking like a like a, a goalie out of his mind. And he played so well on LA and they have a much better defense than Columbus does. So I I would I consider the Senators D better than LA's just considering who's like the 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 names we have and if they played to their potential like they they can be. Um obviously that sixth defenseman is probably looking like Travis Hamanick. Uh yikes. Yeah. But, yeah. So I I just said like Eric Brandstrom and insert defenseman here will be our sixth or our, our third pairing. Um, but you know, who knows? If injuries come and just screw up our day, then I don't know. Like uh, I'll just could have used Lassie Lassie Thompson. Yeah, probably. I didn't love his camp, truthfully, but eh. hindsight is always twenty twenty, as I said. Yeah. Honestly, though, like outside of Max Gwinnett, I wasn't really happy with any of the tweeners camps. Right. I felt the exact same way. And it kind of makes you wonder, like JBD was basically given that spot last at the end of last year. He they said he is going to be the guy that um, he it's his spot to lose. And he completely lost lost it, it. (laughs) like lost it so hard. I don't get it. I really don't get it. I, I, and I also thought Matt and Paolo had a, a really good camp and he like, he should have been considered for that, that sixth spot. But I, I'm also happy with Gannett too, because he, he's been paying his dues a lot in the AHL and always spoken of so highly by, you know, whether it was Troy Mann or David Bell and, and now, I think I've heard DJ say like he's a quality player. Yeah. And for a seventh rounder, that's free money. Yeah. And like what's crazy about him is is he was like a I think first or second overall pick in the QMJHL draft when yeah. he got into the league. Like that's crazy to me. Now we're talking about a lot of the new faces in the Ottawa Centers, who we'll talk about here in a minute. The freshest face of them all. Mr. Michael and Lauer. I mean, talk about an owner that the fans and the players want to run through a wall for. So I got to get your take. I mean, what have you thought so far on our new owner? You put it really well. Like you want to run through a wall for, and he, he's excellent. Uh, he's been everything we've wanted for a long, long time. And I, I don't know about you guys. I'd love to hear your take and, when you looked at who was available to own the senators, like was Ann Lauer always kind of a, a, a back thought because of, you know, Ryan Reynolds going on Jimmy Fallon, like, <laughs> or the Snoop Dogg sideshow. Oh God. Yeah. That was, that was not it. I'll put, I'll put that. I that really way. wonder if the Nico Sparks bids existence is kind of, the start of this sale process going to hell in a handbasket. Cause like, it looked like it was from the outside, a very standard. Okay. We got everyone information's in the lockup, go do your due diligence. And then all yeah. of a sudden, like all these delays keep happening. And it seems to be for the benefit of this Nico sparks group that never gets its shit together. Really. I'd never really thought about it like that, but 
I I see that as a very reasonable and like makes sense. Like it's very logical that they always kind of just like pushed the the process down the road. And I mean, and Laura had said like he was out at one point, like he had no interest in in continuing his his uh, his bid for the sends. And then you know his wife talked him into it again. Luckily, yeah. thank God. But Taylor, like, what? How did you feel about who was a, who could have been uh, an Ottawa Senators owner? Honestly, I was of the mindset that given the success he had with Wrexham, that Ryan Reynolds was ultimately going to be the new owner because it seemed like everybody wanted him. But the more and more it went on, the more and more it seemed less and less likely that Reynolds was going to own the team. So when Michael Adlauer came along and I think the fans were very kind of questioning it because again, he had the Montreal Canadiens, thing to him like being a part owner but you begin hearing all these stories about what a great owner he was in Hamilton with the Bulldogs and just what a great guy and it's funny I think Ian Mendes even put it out he says you know it's rare when you see somebody of this caliber who's in the spotlight that this a lot of skeletons come out of the closet yeah nothing mm-hmm. came out about him and I think yeah and Tim and I actually talked about this on the show when he was named the owner I says you know ultimately it comes down to we want an owner that has money and we'll put a good team on the ice. Yeah. And I, I, I gotta say, like, I loved the quote where he said, you know, you can have as many celebrities as you want, but I have the biggest celebrity in Ottawa and Daniel Alfredson. Yeah. <laughs> and I, that, that was the moment I wanted to run through a wall for him because like who, whatever bid had, Alfie, that was that was the one that was going to win over the fans. And I uh, don't get me wrong. I loved the idea of like a welcome to Wrexham style documentary that was about the Sens. Like the Disney buying the rights for that would be mental. Yeah, um, I would take that over a Leafs Amazon show any day. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I I know someone who like worked on that and there's a there's a distinct reason why it never happened again so <laughs> like oh it was just a development shit show it was it was just it was not something that like they watched how everything played out and they were just like this was not what we imagined it would be and it it didn't it didn't land the way I believe the Leafs wanted it to and it kind of put the kibosh on things. But when you have a, a documentary like welcome to Wrexham and it's, it's all like super positive stuff. It's not like in the trenches of, of the season and watching a guy get cut who, you know, they signed like it was the Jimmy VC. I think like he got cut and Dubas was like, that was, the, that's the worst part of the job. And that's what they put in. Yeah. They put that in. Like they put the whole clip of him getting cut and he was like, he was shocked. And yeah, it was, it was, it was a very awkward thing. And then there was a whole thing about Sheldon Keefe being pissed off with the stars and then the stars going to talk to Dubis about it. And it was a whole thing. 
it was a whole thing. And uh, yeah, I don't care about the Leafs. They're the worst. I'm glad we're we're the Sens <laughs> and we're talking the Sens. Um, makes up for the fact you called us the Zoopcast. Honestly, I'll never live that down. I <laughs> yeah. like uh, you'll probably live it down about ten minutes after this episode drops. Let's be real. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> like it's living, uh, so to speak, rent free in my head currently. I'm just like you, fucking idiot. You know what? Um, we're all about the content here. Yeah, and you can clip it, and uh, I'll get canceled. Um, but you know, that's that's life. But Ann Lauer will not get canceled because. He has no skeletons. And uh, actually, a, f- a friend of mine um, had mentioned that a, f- a family friend of his uh, used to work for Andlauer or uh, had a business, had business interactions with him and said, like, yeah, he is genuinely one of the nicest people I've ever met and like a really good guy. So when you're hearing that, like anecdotally, it's totally different from the last owner. Um, and you're hearing stories about him that like make your skin crawl and mm. just d- the vibes were not immaculate then, but now, uh, he's just, and Lars seems like such a good guy. He seems to know how to write a ship and think of bringing on Steve Steos and bringing on Sierra leader. Like those are two excellent hires that I think will be monumental for for this franchise going forward especially considering like we've seen quite a few blunders recently um most recently being the shane pitto situation um and that being like a a reap what you sow type deal but here we are and i think steve staos is would be is going to be the guy that's like hey what why is this not done when you're going out and doing this like what's what's the problem yeah, well, it really goes to show what a well-run hockey team is now, where, again, before it was just Dorian doing everything. Yeah. <laughs> Dorian and uh, and Bonus for a little bit uh, recently, and then Pierre Maguire before that. <laughs> what did and he you, do? Like, what was he? He was the Poho. Like, he, he was Dorian's boss for a while, and, like, I don't know if he did anything. I, I believe... A lot of people, there's been a lot of speculation that he was the one that led to the Michael Delzato signing. Um, and then also that he was like signing off on the 2020 draft and it was mostly his idea to go after Boucher. Like, I don't know. There's been a lot of talk about that, but. Well, it's probably one of those things that unless the guy opens up and talks about it and then someone else goes and like, yeah, that happened. That didn't work. Just never going to know. Right. Yeah. But like, wouldn't it be nice? Just uh, like a 30 for 30 on the Sens the last eight years. <laughs> My God. I mean, you could almost do like a last dance style documentary on those. Oh, hell yeah. Like one episode is one season and it's just like you have eight episodes and it's just and then the, the last episode is the, everything is great. But the fifth episode is like everything's fine and the the whole franchise is on fire the uber video the like <laughs> oh my god did you do you guys remember when james duffy like tweeted like i know there's more coming about the sends and like i know they've been a bit of a dumpster fire recently but there's more coming and it was it, it was, was like, like what could it be yeah i i think it it was 
the Cody Cece's uh, girlfriend's friend, like had her face burned or something to that effect, like in his backyard. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, that I remember. I think that's what it was, but it's just like, oh my goodness, this team is cursed. What about that baby onesie that was choking kids? Do you remember I that? Sh- no. I forgot about the onesie. <laughs> Not the onesie. Yeah, there was actually a onesie that the Sens were selling on their team store, and like infants were like suffocating. Apparently, it was too tight on the neck. It it couldn't just be the Sens. Like I feel like was it. Was it every team? Was it really just the Sens? I think it was oh the Sens was the first one to get recalled if there were multiple. <sighs> the but 3D of course, Senator had a chokehold on everybody, but especially <laughs> infants. <laughs> oh my lord! Oh my god! Right. Where this episode has been a roller coaster. I'm loving it. Get- it was supposed to be a season preview, but here we are talking about Ubergate. But I think that's the fun thing about podcasts, right? Like you can just you can just go through the motions and just enjoy the ride. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we've been doing this for years. At at no point should anybody who comes on the show should be surprised at what's going to happen if you listen to anything that we do. Yeah, it's like it's just fun. It's just fun. The vibes here are great. It's it's top notch. They are. And <laughs> Now, the only thing that's not top-notch has been the contract situation between the Sens and Shane Pinto. And I know that there has been chatter on social media regarding, okay, do we need to move him, Matthew Joseph to make this work? What do we need to do to fit him in? Like, how do you see this playing out? Do you see the Sens making a move? It's clearly the Sens can't afford to give him what he wants right now. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting seeing everybody suddenly become a cap expert. and just like i okay i've cracked the code if we play parker kelly yuri schmekal is a healthy scratch and travis hamannick plays half of the game we can get matthew joseph under contract or uh shane pinto under contract and keep matthew joseph and i'm like oh my goodness um yeah it's just uh, it's it's a really frustrating thing because Shane Pinto has been a good soldier for the Ottawa Senators the last two seasons. You know, he had the season ending surgery uh, the year before and then played a full season last year and had a good season at that. And I think the frustrating thing is, is that it should have been done before the Sanderson deal, in my opinion, Um, because the Sanderson deal was pressing but Shane Pinto was more pressing and it wasn't going to be hard to get it done by any means. Like Dorian's not an idiot. He's not getting Shane Pinto for one for one. And that's just like a starter offer. But I think it's also kind of a bit of a slap in the face to Shane Pinto as it is. Like, have you ever heard of a 20 goal scorer going and getting like a one year deal as a rookie? Like it doesn't happen. So they must be like maybe hoping to do the whole Kevin LeBanc thing of, you know, him signing a crazy low deal after a 50 or 60 point season and then paying him like 4 million the next year. And he's already like fallen off a cliff. So not, not literally just to just to be clear, but I think the Tarasenko thing happened and they didn't think it would. And they had that money allocated to Pinto and maybe one other thing. And then their contract offer was just still there. And Tarasenko was like, all right, I'm going to do it. 
And Dorian was like, oh, yeah, okay, dang, but cool. And I don't like, I don't hate the signing. Um, and I know a lot of people were like, I want to go get Tatar instead because he's going to be cheaper. And he was significantly cheaper. cheaper. Um, but it's whether he would actually want to play in Ottawa. But all this to say, I think it's very frustrating that we have to do all this cap gymnastics to go and sign our third line center um, who will significantly upgrade this team as it is right now um, because he was our second line center last year and our second line center was out all season. So you got to, you got to consider that not only is signing Shane Pinto good for the Sens and the fact that he is a good player, but he adds a very important depth piece if things fall the way they could. Yeah. And the reality of the situation is there's $5 million of dead cap. Ugh. Like if we didn't sign Michael Del Zotto or just buried Del Zotto in the minors last year. Yeah. Money. Let be there. him play out the year. It's if not we hard. just kept Bobby Ryan. Yeah. Money had been there. After a Masterson season. Like, yeah. Uh, it doesn't make sense. At least Bobby doesn't seem very bitter with how it all ended with him in Ottawa, though. Yeah, and that 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 is a positive. I think it's it's also kind of like Dwayne Casey winning Coach of the Year and then being fired the same year. Um, obviously, the Masterson is way more like impactful because it's it's somebody like going through uh, adversity, and Bobby did that. And like he went through that in Ottawa and I can't remember. Did he have one year left on his, on his deal or was it two? I think it was two. Well, actually let's go check the buyout. Yeah. Uh, Bobby Ryan buyout. So his deal would have gone through 2021, 2022. Uh, yeah. He was bought out of the last two years of the contract. Okay. So at a point, do you kind of just like, you know you're going to be bad like where you uh, I, I don't know it's it's a tough it's a tough thing like i probably wouldn't have bought out ryan but that's 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 hockey baby yeah i know i will say though it is nice to talk about a sense team where we're not questioning whether these guys are going to stay and it's more of a fuck how are we going to fit these guys now yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really cool because Pinto wants to play here. He doesn't want to get traded and the Sens want to keep him. Like it's not a he's holding out because like he might leave. And I remember, I don't know about you guys, but like I was terrified about Kachuk. Yeah. Because you had like Cam and and Strick had they were like, yeah, he might want to leave. And we're all like, ah, <laughs> well, the other thing is, look what Matthew did later that year. He just yeah. said, fuck it, I'm leaving Calgary. And yeah, that I'm team, sure you you know that that yeah. was not fun in Calgary. <laughs> the one thing I did have to give Bradtree living props, he managed to make the best out of a really bad situation. Absolutely. I I thought Calgary won that deal after it happened. Uh Obviously, I don't. I I mean, I need to see Huberto this year step up and like Uyghur kind of step up because he was still a good defenseman last yeah. year. But yeah, 
it's I was gonna say my girlfriend's a Calgary fan. I'm gonna be watching a lot of that this year. So yeah, <laughs> and at, like at least in your in the time zone you're in, like it's not super late. Obviously for me, like I can't watch Edmonton or Calgary because of, like it's way past my bedtime. So. <laughs> oh, I one of my buddies uh, who he works for Hockey Analytics for Toronto. I'm just like Sick. man. How do you stay up and wait all, watch all these late games? He's like, I wasn't sleeping anyway. <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay, bud. You're like, do you need help? Like, are you good? Like, no, he's good. The, the worst thing is, is melatonin. The guy, <laughs> the guy plays like I want to say two or three beer leagues as well. Oh dang! Yeah, so uh, we we started calling him Puck Life. He lives it apparently. Like, <laughs> holy moly! Yeah, that's that's crazy. And especially considering like most of if, if he's working on analytics for, you know, the NHL, for example, uh, it, his work starts at night. So he's just he's just chilling. Yeah. Who knows? Who that's knows? a sick job, though. That's that's it's way above my mathematical skills. Same. You know, it's funny. We were talking about Shane Pinto and how we're going to fit him. One guy we're not going to have to worry about jake sanderson and let me tell you i was of the mindset of okay in a couple years i wonder what that big contract's gonna get and then all of a sudden 8.05 yeah eight years yeah and i remember thinking what did just happened yeah we we on our twitter account have the sense communications uh like as a notification and I was talking to my my fiance and uh, <laughs> we were having like a deep conversation and I look over at my phone and it says like senators have agreed to terms with Jake Sanderson. And I was like, hold that thought. Yeah. And, and I was like, oh, my goodness gracious. So yeah, that's it's a steal of a deal. And I can't believe they actually got him to sign it because it's the same thing with Stutzla, like. You have two guys that sign a contract right before their breakout year. And, and I like I, I can see Jake Sanderson uh being probably playing at the value of his contract this year, and he's pl- still playing on his ELC this year. Yeah. So next season, like he's gonna be making his big boy money and is probably going to be worth more. And that's pretty awesome. Like I can fault Pierre Dorian for a lot of things, but I cannot fault him for ensuring that our core is signed up for basically the prime of their careers. Reasonably too. Very reasonably. Like you don't have a guy making more than 8.25, which I believe is Stu. So Mm -hmm. It just, it makes everything so much better. And like, I don't know about you guys, but I genuinely believe Drake Batherson is going to be a monster this year. Um, And he is signed to, if he is a monster, the most team-friendly contract you could get at like 4.95 for another couple of years. It's the old Alfie contract. Yep. It's the, it's the old Eric Carlson contract. And it was the old Kyle Turris contract. We always had one that was just like too good to be true for the player. And I know lumping Turris in with those two guys is 
you know, maybe a little bit, but I, I loved that guy. He was, he was a very good player for the Sens. And like what, when he was in his prime, he was playing mm-hmm. on a, a $3 million contract. <laughs> like that's like nuts. Wild. <laughs> yeah. And he shouldn't have been, but Brian Murray did what Brian Murray does best and just kind of sprinkled his, his Brian Murray dust and all was all was well with the world. But the, the 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 biggest point here is that Jake Sanderson is probably the best defenseman on the team as of halfway through the year, and that's with a team that has Thomas Shabbat and Jacob Chikrin. Those are two defensemen that that teams would very much covet, and like I I think Jake Sanderson's potential is is sky high. And, uh, I think my, people might be sleeping on, on Ottawa's defense this year a little bit. And that's why I have a lot of trepidation on possibly shipping out Brandstrom because we are at a point of strength yeah. right now, uh, with defense that we haven't seen in, in quite some time. Well, the other thing is, is shipping out Brandstrom doesn't fix enough of your issues because you're yeah. going to have to replace Brandstrom at cheaper than Brandstrom. Yeah. And that's going to be hard because uh, Brandstrom had a great year eye test last year and analytically. Yeah. Um, and he was, well, I I've been a Brandstrom truther through and through. Uh, I, I also c- collect hockey cards and I've got a few sick Eric Brandstrom ones. Um, so I obviously don't want to see him traded, but mm-hmm. he, he had a really good year last year that made me believe like, this is a guy that's just coming into his own. And I think we can still get more from him. And quite frankly, if Jacob Chicken goes down, which his track record suggests he may, Brandstrom can go and play in the top four. But yep. any of those those tweener guys that we've talked about cannot, like in the slightest. No. He eats all those organ meats. He shouldn't be going down that easy. Yeah, like, also, can we talk about why that story just came out of nowhere? It's like, <laughs> this guy eats raw liver. And we're what? like, I-, I was just I was just eating Cheerios, and you have to tell me this right now? Like, <laughs> how did I not hear about this? Rogan or something. Yeah, it's, yeah, it, it did sort of feel like that. But yeah, Tim, that, that, that actually happened. Like, he... Uh, they were talking about his diet and he, he has a raw, raw meat diet. It's like the liver King diet, but not actually. How I liver is usually like, it's usually really low grade. How is that yeah. safe to eat? Raw? But it's, I think I have no idea, but there's also like that useless stat or the useless fact that like, if you eat, uh, a liver of a polar bear you'll die because it's so high in sodium so i'm wondering if there's any correlation between liver and sodium intake i have no idea i'm not a, a, a raw diet expert by any means i'm just throwing but, that into google and seeing sorry i'm gonna throw that into bing because bing will actually tell me if that'll kill myself can you eat raw li- oh that's just some random blog do i have some- i mean that just sounds like something like joe rogan would try to no exactly like it it, absolutely it does and it's it's maybe a little concerning to hear about one of your star defensemen 
Um, and you just hope it doesn't correlate to any of his injury troubles because, you know, is he getting enough vegetables? Like I thought Nathan McKinnon took things seriously when he didn't let anybody eat pasta. Oh my but, God. I mean, can you imagine he, he hits a post, he just punches a hole through the wall. Yeah. <laughs> and like Chick Chikrin is a big fella. He is a beast. And uh, I would never want to get caught in an alleyway and be on the wrong side of Jacob Chikrin because like he, he's a big, big customer, but you know, you want to see that um, he doesn't get hurt as much, but there's nobody other than Eric Brandstrom uh, outside of that top four that could do what the Sens would need him to. And uh, I just hope that, they don't trade Eric Branstrom because I do think he's going to be like a, a very important part uh, of this franchise going forward. And I'm really glad that I've got to come on, on your podcast and, and spread and the, spread the of, gospel of, of Eric Branstrom. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like for a time, Matt really peddled like Dougie Hamilton to Ottawa to the point where it was like every episode he talked about Dougie Hamilton, Ottawa. And then last year it was, Thing Nick Bukestad and uh the yeah my thing is is I'm a big Branny truther I call him Bilbo Branchise I'll tell you one thing Matt if there's anything that here on third line plug we like it's our short kings short hey, king Bradstrom let's go I I like I'm on a podcast with two short kings uh there's a photo that we have uh so I'm I'm not a short king I am six one um but Bennett and Matt are short kings. So there's a picture of us and I've got my arms like this. Oh, and I like, I, 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 yeah, but it's great. Like, I, I feel like short kings are what make the world go round. Um, and Eric Branson makes that puck go round. They also go for the shins. Yeah. Uh, I, and quite frankly, like, hey, if you're in a fight, you're fighting with everything you got. You got to do it. Just maybe not with a skate to the shin because that that'll okay, get you Matt a big Cook. suspension. Yeah. Uh, ah, good lord. So Tim, do you have any more questions you want to ask before we head off into the close? How hard was it being a Branstrom truther during the goal drought? Because I know I was the resident Branstrom truther on this podcast, and every time you're like, you know what, you gotta believe. How hard listen, was it being the Branstrom truther during that? I'll tell you this. I uh, like, I was just happy he was playing good defensively um, because to me, Brandstrom's value is going to be shown with his like zone exits and his puck moving ability. I, I like, I didn't really worry about his offense, but I kind of did when Travis Hamanick was scoring more than he was. And I was like, oh no, because it was being used against him. Yeah. And, you know, uh, like there are a couple brandy deniers on, on Sen's Twitter that like they're, they're bigger named people. And uh, like, you can say simmer. Yeah. Simmer. I think Mark Mathot. Those are, those are two guys that aren't the biggest franchise fans. And Hey, it's, it's that's, that's whatever you want to, you want to like say or do when it comes to, to Bilbo franchise. But he was, genuinely like one of the most consistent defensemen last year. And that's 
like the only thing I had a problem with yesterday was uh, on the podcast or not the podcast, the preseason game, Jamie and uh, Gord were talking about like tweener defensemen and that Eric Branstrom was like fighting for the last spot. And I was like, there's not a goddamn chance in the world. He's fighting for the last spot. Like Travis Hammond does not have a spot on this team. Okay. I like, God, we're they're good playing Branstrom $2 million. Yeah. 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 He's on the team. And also, like, I, I think Clevin is going to be a very good, like, third, maybe like a fifth, uh, fifth defenseman or like a third pairing D man. Yeah. And people were like, Clevin's already good enough to, to replace Brandstrom. So trade him for an asset. And I was like, guys, he is not. And then we saw in preseason, like, Clevin needs some seasoning. He needs to cook a little. Um, and then you could have a pairing of Branstrom and Clevin. Like, I think that's, that will look ideal, but being a brandy truther, uh, since he got traded to Ottawa for Mark stone, like it, it's been a tough ride fellas. Like it's been hard. Like you gotta, you gotta compete with Mark stone, Stanley cup champion, and like that's that's the trade holding over your hat head. So I also think that that may be why he doesn't get traded. Because imagine that like him ending up being a cap dump to facilitate a third line center being uh, signed. It just it Dorian would get flamed even more than he has. Yeah. And then Branstrom would turn into a top four defenseman on another team, and we'd be doing this. This whole, uh, whole thing about asset yeah. management, but odds are we're going to lose one of two of Sokolov and JBD tomorrow. And we're going to hear more about asset management because. I, has that become your least favorite phrase on sense Twitter? I have said it quite a bit. I will, I will say that, but I mean, Stop. I'm my, my least favorite was uh, the named Brinkat. That was that was my least favorite. Uh, and when and then it just, of course, he had to say something to like get back onto Sen's Twitter and be like, "Ah, I was lazy last year." And then the Sen's Twitter was in flames. Yep. Like it was, yeah. And then you have Detroit fans coming over and being like, "Hey, hey, hey. you know, nobody wants to play in Ottawa." Uh, believe me, we've had one of them on this show who said the same thing so yeah we we also had uh, a, a detroit podcast come on our show which podcast? and uh the grind line podcast oh okay uh they have also been one of the biggest flamers of sense fans and stuff and i'm like leave us alone <laughs> just, just leave us alone like i'm just we're just trying to vibe here but I, I I will say like that's that's what Twitter's for, right? Like you go and piss off everybody you possibly can. So, so I do have one final question here, Matt. Before we head off into the close, absolutely now the listeners can't hear this because we are an audio podcast, not a video podcast. You okay. have signed Patrick Laleem jersey behind your left shoulder. I do. So I gotta ask. Now Tim and I have talked about this on the show about fans who were signed jerseys to games. Yeah. What do you make of this? Do you think that's a good idea? Or do you think if, if it's a signed jersey, just stay at home? So I like we we 
talked about this uh, at the start of the, or before we had started the podcast, like I have worn it to games. Yeah. Breaking um, Love it. Love it. And it's like, I also realized that, you know, there's probably not that many 2D OG white away jersey, Sens jerseys that are signed by Patrick Lillie. So you kind of want to make sure that it's like protected a little bit. So uh, I think I'll be keeping it on the wall from now on. Uh, I also, I think I have like over 10 Sens jerseys now. So uh, it's a healthy addiction, I promise. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah, I got my question in the closet. Don't you worry. Yeah, I, 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 this is a perfect opportunity for me to ask you guys, what is your favorite current 2d jersey because we've had the reverse retro the red one like and we've had like the senegoth one yeah, with the, or the senegoth patches we had the the work of art that is our home jersey and then the away jersey which is also sexy nothing's ever gonna beat the Sen- the original senegoth so i'm gonna have to say the home jersey yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah, it's just so clean. I thought Tim was going to troll us and say the SNES. I am a SNES oh. jersey truther. I love the SNES jersey. I don't know why. It's just, it reminds me of Alexei Kovalev, and that was an interesting era. Uh, or late sends. I don't even want to say late sends career Jason Spezza, but like the time that Jason Spezza somehow was underrated. Just... Yeah. Or... Uh, that that is actually the era of keep Jason Spezza protest on Parliament Hill, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that, good times. That, good times. The best of times. Uh, I had to hear about his drop passes every after every game on TSN twelve hundred. Hey, we had to watch it, so you know this is true. This is true. But he was a he's a very good player for us. Um, I would. I'm going to throw it out there that I would really like to see more gold on if they have a third Jersey, um, especially like looking at Corpus Allo's mask, which is a work of art. It is so nice. Um, but yeah, I think I'd like to see a little more gold on maybe the, the armbands yeah. just to, just, just to spice up life. You know what I mean? No, I totally agree with that. Now, Matt, we can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule to do this segment with us this evening. Now, before we let you go, where can our listeners find the Centennial Podcast and where can they find you on social media? Okay. Uh, I butchered this uh, the last time I did it for our own podcast, but I believe we are at Centennial on on everything um, because we we just wanted to make sure it was more concise and and like you know, sexy. Uh, but yeah, we're just at Sensenial on Twitter and I believe we're that on everything else, but we're most, uh, we're most active on Twitter or X. If you want to, if you want to call it that really don't want to, I like Twitter. It's a good name. Um, and then me personally, my, my, uh, Twitter handle is at Matt Nafe. I sometimes tweet about the Sens, but I generally just tweet off of the Sensenial account because, I don't know. It's kind of fun to like uh, have a mask of, of a mystery of who's tweeting, but I have gotten like messages from my friends being like, I can tell when it's you and when it's somebody else. 
is it because it's more shit posty uh like i wouldn't say it's more shit posty but i like i definitely tweet how i talk and i'll just like say things and just just sort of riff matt is is definitely more methodical in his posting he does shit post from time to time he's very active in the sends discord as well and uh, I don't think Bennick takes the keys of the Sens Tenniel that much. But when he does, he always drops heat. Excellent. Hey, yeah. when's the last time I posted from the Sens, the third line blog Twitter account? I think it's when you tweeted about Eric Brandstrom. Might have oh. been Brandstrom Truther. Well, well, well. <laughs> we yeah. love a Brandy Truther. We do, we do. <laughs> Now, the final question, and we're asking everybody who are doing these segments with us, at the end of the 2023-24 season, how do you finish? How do you see the Ottawa Senators finish in our division? I'm going to go bold, and I'm going to say second in the Atlantic. They're not a wild card team. They're better than that. I I mean, yeah, that's... I just I have a lot of faith in this team. It could be blind optimism, blind optimism. Who knows? But I I think they can they can do it quite easily actually. So bet on it. Hey, this is Connect from the Sens call ups. You're listening to the Third Line Plug Sens Cast. Once again, a big thank you to Scott Callen, Adam Seldo, and Matt Nath for taking time out of their schedules to join us to represent the Canadian Atlantic teams. Yeah, I hope all of our listeners learned a lot and some things to look for in the other two teams from Canada and the Atlantic. Of course, man, of course. Well, guys, that wraps up this edition for the Third Line Plug, SenseCast. I hope you've enjoyed it because believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. You can find the show on all social media, as well as you can find Tim on Twitter at M901HoneyBadger, and I am at GreatWhiteGipster on everything. Man, this is going to be fun. Like, this really is going to be a great season of hockey ahead of us, and I'm so excited. Yeah, like, once Ottawa just gets everyone signed, I can't wait for game one against the Hurricanes. Buddy... I've been told that life can't be finer than starting the season in Raleigh, North Carolina. You know what? I believe it. Until next time, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensey. Go Sands, guys. <laughs>